I'd like to invite you to turn to Psalm 119. During this Christmas season, I've been preaching on the Word became flesh, thinking of our Savior Jesus Christ, his purpose for coming. And I've enjoyed looking at uh, the characteristics of, of God's Word and how there's fulfillment uh, in Jesus Christ. Today, I'll be preaching about the motivation for obedience. We'll find that the love of God motivates us to, uh, to, to obey. Today I'll be reading verses 89 through 128. I'll be preaching from 97 through 104. Listen to God's word. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You establish the earth, and it abides. They continue this day according to your ordinances, for all are your servants. Unless your law had been my delight, I would then have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours. Save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked wait for me to destroy me, but I will consider your testimonies. I have seen the consummation of all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I keep your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. I have not departed from your judgments, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn and confirmed that I will keep your righteous judgments. I am afflicted very much. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. Except I pray the freewill offerings of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me your judgments. My life is continually in my hand, yet I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I have not strayed from your precepts. Your testimonies I have taken as a heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes forever to the very end. I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. You are my hiding place and my shield, I hope, in your word. Depart from me, you evildoers, for I will keep the commandments of my God. Uphold me according to your word that I may live, and do not let me be ashamed of my hope. Hold me up, and I shall be safe, and I will observe your statutes continually. You reject all those who stray from your statutes, for their deceit is falsehood. 
You put away all the wicked of the earth like dross. Therefore, I love your testimonies. My flesh trembles for fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgments. I have done justice and righteousness. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Be surety for your servant for good. Do not let the proud oppress me. My eyes fail from seeking your salvation and your righteous word. Deal with your servant according to your mercy and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. It is time for you to act, O Lord, for they have regarded your law as void. Therefore, I love your commandments more than gold, yes, than fine gold. Therefore, all your precepts concerning all things I consider to be right. I hate every false way. Today, I am preaching on the motivation for obedience. That motivation comes from the love of God that we have received through Jesus Christ that then motivates us to love him and his word in turn. When you talk about motivation, there are a lot of things that drive us. Sometimes they are external things that, uh, that are imposed on us that we follow. Other things are motivations that rise up from within us. Dane Ortland gives an illustration that uh, is very helpful in understanding this. He says to imagine that you are 12 years old. For some of you, that's going to be very easy. There are some that are very close to 12 years old. Some of us are a little further removed, uh, but uh, hopefully you can remember being 12 years old. He tells a story of a 12-year-old boy. This boy was very worried about who he was in his family and whether or not his parents loved him. So he decided that he was going to make sure that his parents loved him by the things that he did. He got up early to scrub the floor, to take out the trash. After school, he would mow the yard. He would clean the bathrooms. Day after day after day, he would frantically work, thinking, surely now I have done enough for my parents to love me. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, his parents noticed this odd behavior. <laughs> his parents noticed and came and talked to him. What are you doing this? Why are you acting this way? And he said... I'm doing this to secure my place in this family, to make sure that you love me. And his father responded, my dear son, there is nothing you could possibly do to earn your way to be part of this family. You are our son, period. You didn't do anything <clears throat> to become part of our family, and you can't do anything to keep yourself as part of our family. We love you, period. Live your life knowing that you are our son and that we love you. 
Know that we love you and live accordingly. My aim today is to talk about motivation. Think of the 12-year-old boy and what was motivating him. I have to earn my father's love. Think about what the the, the father was offering. I love you genuinely. Live out of that love. Let that motivate you in your life. You see, there are often many times that my conviction is that, uh, that people live as if they have to earn God's love. That doesn't mean just as they come to Christ, even as believers, we can approach our obedience as if the Lord will love me more through my obedience. We act like this 12-year-old boy. Rather today from Psalm 119, I want want to show you that Christ's redeeming love sets you free to love him to love his his word, and to love following after him. And that that would rise up from within rather than being an obedience imposed from the outside. I pray that you would live your life out of joy and gratitude for what Christ has done for you. He has loved you and gave himself for you. Hopefully you can remember that you live your life out of love for God's word. Let's begin by seeing how Christ's redeeming love sets you free to love his word. That idea of loving his word you find resonating really throughout the entire psalm. And I chose this section for, uh, for the ways in which it expresses it. Look at verse 97, the first verse of this stanza. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. And then down in verse 103, how sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my taste. And then later we read about how God's word is more precious to us than gold itself. Well, this doesn't sound like someone who hates what he is doing. It doesn't sound like obedience and reading God's word is distasteful to them. It doesn't sound like it's something they have to do to secure God's love. It sounds instead like someone who genuinely and really loves God and loves his word, someone that loves to think about it, loves to to talk with others about it, loves to meditate on it and live it out. You see, when you love doing something, it's it's not difficult. It's something that that, that is easy to do because you enjoy it. The rest of the Bible helps you understand this, helps you to understand the grounds of that motivation of our obedience. And as a starting point, the starting point is that God accepts you as righteous in his sight because of what Jesus has done for you. That is very important, that God accepts you 
as righteous in his sight because of what Jesus has done. It is not by works of righteousness which we have done that we are right with God. It is because of what Jesus has done for us. His death on the cross pays the penalty for our sins. His righteousness was uh, was. Uh, was his actions on our behalf to fulfill all of God's will. It is by God's grace that we receive this then. We receive the righteousness of Christ, the forgiveness of our sins, by believing in Jesus Christ as our Redeemer. We have that before us today in the preached word, and in the word of our sacrament that demonstrates the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Remember that when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me, and burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. That passage, which was our call to worship from Hebrews, captures this idea of Jesus' obedience for us, of what, uh, why he came into the world, that he became man to obey for us and to die for us. And Jesus sets us free then to follow after him. He created us for this purpose, that we would have fellowship with him day by day. And he redeemed you and he brought you into his family for this purpose as well, that we, by God's grace, would have a new nature, and that out of this nature would come a joyful and thankful obedience because of the redemption that we have. In that light, I would invite you today to to think about what God has done for you. As you you think back about how Christ came into into your life and how you were converted, maybe you'll find that there are these these striking transformations, especially revolving around God's word. In this light, I'd like to share just a little bit about Vicki's conversion. She was a teenager when, uh, when there was a, a family in her neighborhood that started a Bible club. And uh, she and her, her brothers and sisters went to that, and she said it was tedious and distasteful to her. She didn't want to go and to hear the Bible. She didn't want to do all these memory drills. She hated it. And maybe that's your own reflection, that before Christ came to you, that you looked at the the Bible and you thought, I don't want to have anything to do with this book. It's a a book that has all these do's and don'ts. And all it does is to cramp my style and to make me unhappy. But when Vicky was converted, when she repented and asked Christ to be her savior, she came to find great pleasure in that Bible club. 
more than the Bible club. She came to love reading God's word and to participate in those memory programs. And you too, when Christ came into your world, when Christ converted you, maybe you can reflect and remember how you came to understand that this is my savior and these are the words of my savior and there's a complete change of direction that has happened in your life it's not a perfect transformation but a genuine transformation uh, nonetheless you come to yearn to know god you come to delight in his word you come to want to be like him come to think of the Bible as being sweeter than honey rather than just a list of rules and do's and don'ts to cramp your style. And when you obey, you see Jesus. You see Jesus who who delighted in God's word, who came to do his Father's will. I hope that you, you would remember that that moment of temptation that is recorded in Matthew 4, and see how our Savior came to fulfill that requirement of obedience. The devil came to him and threw temptation after temptation at him, but out of love for the Father and out of devotion to his word, Jesus obeyed. Notice how that word of God equipped him to do that. He used God's word to follow after him. My prayer is that as you follow after Jesus Christ, that you would find a similar delight, a similar motivation, that you would follow in turning away from sin and pursuing holiness. As you'd find that you could say with David, Oh, how I love your law. It is my study all the day. It is sweet to me. At the same time, let me ask, are you on the other side today? Are you, are you hearing about God's word and you are thinking, Pastor, I don't know what you are talking about. I don't, I don't want to have anything to do with this. I don't want to have anything to do with with these these lists of do's and don'ts. I want to live my life as I please. I invite you today to consider the offer of Jesus Christ. Because if you go down that path of living your life as you please, you'll find that your life doesn't please you. The word of God will teach you this, and your experience will teach you this. Try as you might, you will not find happiness in pursuing just whatever pleases you. You'll find it to be a path that is a dead end, both literally and figuratively. You'll find that your life will become a master to all of those pleasures, and you will be ground down by that. And that's why I say I want to invite you the invita- invite you to, to hear the gospel. I invite you to consider that, that Christ himself has come 
to provide a way of deliverance from that grinding way of life, being a servant, a slave to the desires of this world. In him, you will find salvation. In him, you will find forgiveness. In him, you'll find genuine happiness and happiness that does bring transformation to your life so that you are free then, free from the slavery to all of those desires and free to follow after Jesus Christ as a gentle master. With that in mind, I want to then go on to look at these verses and to show this motivation for the love of God's word that comes from a love of Christ himself. So what do you do with honey? Children, do you like uh, having honey on a, a nice piece of toast? I know I do. So what do you do with honey? Well, you eat it. You ask your parents for more. Well, in a similar way, I'll invite you uh, to answer the question, what do you do with God's word? Well, like honey, you take it in. You, you like it. <laughs> you love it. You want more of it. And the rest of the passage is going to give directions on how you may take in God's word, how you may love it and feed that motivation to love God's word. I'm going to give you five today from this passage from uh, uh, Psalm 119. Love God's word by, first of all, loving the word incarnate. And I have alluded to this already, but let me reinforce this point. You, you will never understand the Bible. You will never understand the Christian life if you don't, first of all, love God. It comes through in this passage in understanding that, that the love that we have is, is motivated by God himself. It's going to run throughout this passage where, where, where you see God's hand on us. He's the one who has given us his word. He's the one who is teaching us and refining us and sanctifying us. And if you don't see Christ at work in you, if you do not love Christ, then the rest of the scripture is not going to make any sense. You'll approach it like that 12-year-old boy, like I have to do these things in order to earn or earn God's love. Instead, you will love God's word by first loving the word incarnate, by loving Christ. And then that transforming love that he has shown you will be worked out in that love for what God has given you in his word. It's a little bit like a bride and groom on their wedding day. They can't stop looking at each other, into each other's eyes. They can't stop holding each other's hands. There's a mutual love that, that, that just that feeds the relationship. Well, in a very similar way, think of the love that Christ has shown you. and Never stop clinging to him. He has promised to never let you go, but as we live, cling to him, look into his eyes. 
So love God's word by loving the word incarnate. Second, love God's word by meditating on God's word. This comes through in verse 97. I love your word. It is my study. It is my meditation all the day. Here, let me pause and make sure you understand what meditation is. It's a word that's uh, fairly common today, but it doesn't mean what the Bible is speaking about. When the world talks about meditation, it has the idea of, of clearing your mind of everything, of thinking of nothing, and that this will somehow cleanse you and guide you and, and orient you. Well, that's not biblical meditation. Rather, when the Bible talks about meditation, instead of clearing your mind and thinking of nothing, it has, an, it has the idea of filling your mind with God's word, of filling your thoughts and your time and your consideration with what God has said. So you approach it, you read it, you you memorize it, you contemplate what it means, you ask yourself questions, how shall I live because of this? You discuss it with your friends, it's, it's part and parcel of your life. Now, there isn't anything magical or superstitious about reading your Bible. That can, that can be a misconception as well, that you can approach the Bible superstitiously saying, now, if I read the Bible, that uh, zap, everything will go well for me today, uh, kind of a, in a superstitious way. But it is much deeper than that. It comes from a, a love of God, a love of Christ, that draws you in to find out more and more about it. It, is, it can be compared to anything that you love. For instance, if you, if you love basketball, then you're going to spend time uh, understanding and practicing your ball handling skills, the, the way you shoot a basketball, the way you move on the floor so that you're open for a shot, because you really enjoy playing the game. It's, it's a delight to you to go through those exercises. Well, if you love God's word, there's a similar devotion that happens. You devote attention to it. There's, a, there's time that is taken to read it, to seek to understand it. And that means that you need to make time for this. Like anything that you love, you, you make time for it. With a new year coming up, this is a time we naturally begin to reflect on what's gone by in the year before and to, and to renew certain commitments. It's a great time for you to renew a commitment to express your love for God and a love for his word by making time to read it. In the coming weeks, I'll be sharing some uh, different reading plans that you might consider, very thoughtful essays that will will prompt you to be considering what you want to accomplish as you read God's word. There are a lot of different ways to go about reading. Well, you need to renew that commitment to read it personally. Renew a commitment in your family 
to show the love that you have for God's word by, by spending time as a family together reading that. Or maybe take up a practice that you once held, a practice of memorizing. Or if you never have, uh, uh, take up that practice of memorizing. Join the children of the congregation in those, those memory challenges that you might store up that word of God. And then as you walk through the day, think about what you've read so that you can apply it. Remember that new habits can be hard to start or maintain, but approach it not by some imposition of something that will make God love you. Instead, orient yourself to the love that God has for you that draws you in to a desire to read, to know God's word and his son, Jesus Christ. Thirdly, love God's word by elevating it in your life above the ways of the world. In this slide, I want you to look at verses 98 through 100. These say that God uses his word to make me wiser than my enemies to have more understanding than my teachers, and to understand even more than the ancients. Thinking of those authorities uh, that are accepted in times past. What David does is he seems seems to set up a comparison. He sets up all of the different philosophies of the world on one side and the wisdom that comes from God's word. And in comparison, comparison, the wisdom that God gives to us from his word outstrips all of the the so-called authorities of this world, all of the so-called values of this world. And that's a way in which we express our love for God and a love for his word. The point is that God's word speaks to to every area of our lives. And it speaks in a way that that brings a a genuine joy, a genuine happiness, because of the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. On the other hand, non-Christian values that surround you are going to be pressing down upon you about the ways in which you can find your own personal happiness. And it doesn't take long for the world, uh, of looking at the world to, to come to some conclusions about what they say is that road to happiness. It comes through money or success in your job or sexual freedom or freedom from really any of the rules that restrict your desires. And as I said earlier, there are many, many that have become ensnared by these philosophies of the world. And in that snare, they become, uh, become ground down and miserable because of slavery to those desires. And the con- uh, contrary to that, by meditating on God's word, by, by loving it, by mulling on it throughout the day, you come to see that God is shaping your life. He's shaping your values and your desires. He's showing you the way of wisdom and happiness that comes from God's word. 
And speaking of God shaping you, a fourth way of loving God's word is by asking God's spirit to enlighten you. Look at verse 98 again. It says that God, uh, it shows that God himself is at work. He says, you through your commandments make me wise. You, God, you through your commandments make me wise. That's referring to that, that powerful and personal work of the Holy Spirit in your lives. It is, it is God himself through the Holy Spirit who, who takes God's word and opens your mind to it so that you do love it and understand it. And he opens your understanding so that, so that you know how to live. And it produces in you these desires that, that well up out of love for Christ. And as you do this, it produces humility and produces confidence. Humility in this way. As David speaks about his wisdom in the eyes of the world, he's not speaking about something that he has attained. He can say, all I have, all that I have attained come from God's hand. You, O God, by your commands are teaching me these things. And your word and your influence on my life make me wiser than the ways of the world. It is God who is doing this. And we express a love for God by practicing humility, by practicing an aspect of our approach to the world that says, the Lord is at work, and bless him for that. It also produces a confidence. As the Holy Spirit enlightens you, he he is the one that, uh, that helps us to hold to this authority of God's word. Even though the rest of the world and the authorities of the world and the ancients of the world are trying to convince you to do otherwise, it is by the work of the Spirit in you that you hold to these truths. So love God's word by asking the Holy Spirit to enlighten you. Fifthly, then, love God's word by turning away from evil. This comes through in verses 101 through 102 and then uh, in 104 as well. Listen to these words. I've restrained my feet from every evil way that I might keep your word. I have not departed from your judgments, for you yourself have taught me. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Now that last phrase is probably the application that comes to mind here is that God's word guards us from going in the evil way. But David has something more in mind here. That is true, that God's word teaches us the way to walk in and to guard our ways, guard our feet from going down that evil path. There's something of a reinforcing cycle that is here. Not only does God's word guard our ways, but we also guard our ways so that we might walk in and understand God's word. 
the devotional table talk calls attention to this. And as it says, a refusal to repent of known sin and a complete failure to put into practice that which we already know from Scripture will guarantee that we miss the point of what the Spirit wants to teach us in the text. Think of it this way. Let's use the language of the poetry here. It says, I've I've kept my feet from evil ways. So imagine that you're walking down a straight and narrow path, the way way of God. And all along the way, there are these enticing little paths that turn off from side to side. And if you take one of those paths, you begin to look at the world from a different perspective than where you are on the straight and narrow path. If you wander down the side paths, if you follow that evil way, then sin begins to color the way you look at the world. Begins to shape your understanding so that you would even look at scripture from eyes that are blurred and colored by that sin that you are cherishing. Shapes the way you approach your relationships. It changes the way you go about your work and your play. It's colored by that evil path. But Christ calls you out of the world. He calls you and he enables you to love him, to love his words by restraining your feet from that evil way. There's that that first meaning. God's word preserves you from walking down that evil way. But then think of that reinforcing You will understand the world. You will understand the word itself as you are informed by it and as you restrain your feet from evil ways. Let me also say that if you are caught, if you are caught in the trap of that side path of sin, if your world feels like there is no escape from that, And the scripture once again invites you to cry out to Christ to deliver you. That is the, the foundational point. That's the starting point. You cry out to the one who is gentle and lowly in heart. See, God knows our frailty, that we are are redeemed by his blood, but we are still sinners. We are his children, but we still sin. And David himself knew this. And we have a powerful testimony to that in David's life. That he, as a child of God, could still sin. But God can and did deliver David, and can and does deliver you too. Out of love for God, then, we love his word, and we love obedience. We hate evil and turn aside from it. Pray that you would see, then, that Christ's redeeming love sets you free, that it, it anchors you, and the love that God has for you. 
And therefore, out of that love that he has shown you, out of the redeeming grace that you would live your life expressing your love for Christ and love for God's word. Let's pray. Lord, our God, our hearts tend towards sin. We are indeed at the same time justified and yet still sin. We confess that to you, O Lord, and express our desire to follow after Christ genuinely. And with Psalm 119, we say together, O Lord, we love your law. We pray that we would make it our study day in and day out, that we would meditate on it, that we would put it into practice in our lives. We pray that we would set it, uh, set it beside uh, those philosophies of the world and see the great value that your law is to us. And all of these things, O oh Lord, we depend upon that redeeming grace of Jesus Christ. We thank you, O oh Lord, that he indeed did come to do your will and to redeem us from our sins. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.